Asia. I grew up in Singapore before actually coming out to Australia, and so I've heard, I think, some of those accents already. So I feel right at home. And to hear 50 more accents is just amazing. Isn't it a foretaste of the heavenly reality? And I'm so glad to be with you. Not least of which, what an honour! I did not know this was the actual weekend that you planted Redeemer seven years ago. So to be here in this context with you, why it just couldn't get better this side of heaven, could it? For me, at least, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm just so thrilled to be here. So thank you for giving me the enormous privilege of speaking the word of God to you.、But、given that it is the word of God, please join me in praying. Our heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for speaking to us so clearly in your word. So, Father, please fill me with your Spirit to teach it faithfully and well. Help us to listen carefully. May your words so penetrate our hearts, souls, marrow, that we might change, come to know you perhaps for the first time as Lord and Saviour. And grow in the likeness of Jesus, Father. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, what does it mean to be human? Is it to possess two hundred and six bones and six hundred and fifty muscles, at least nine meters of intestines? Breathe twenty thousand breaths per day and excrete about one point five liters per day. Isn't that a lovely thought? It's not all that attractive at one level, but is that what it means to be human, just physically? Or does it mean to possess a soul? Is that what it means to be human? Or is it to err? You know, to err is human. To forgive is divine. Err is to make mistakes. To do wrong is that what it means to be human? <clears throat> to do wrong all the time. What does it mean to be human? I want to suggest to you this morning that understanding this question will actually affect how we relate to our family. It will affect how we relate to our government. It will affect how we relate to one another. It will affect who we date and who we marry and how we work. In fact. It's part and parcel of fabric of what the purpose of life is, what to be, what it is to be human. And the Bible has a lot to say about humanity, but one of the richest places, of course, is what we just had read out to us in Psalm eight. For Psalm eight delights in the place and glory of humanity. But we can only understand the glory of humanity, of the human race, in relation to the glory of God. To understand humans, we've got to understand what God has revealed of Himself to us. But we can only understand that as He has revealed Himself to us in His precious Word. So the first point is that the God who made humanity. Is himself majestic and glorious. The God who made humanity is majestic and glorious. O Lord, our Lord, verse one, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, what's in a name? 
in the Bible, wherever you see the word Lord spelt in capital letters, it refers to his personal name, which in the Hebrew spells Y-H-W-H. And because there's no vowels in there, you don't know how to pronounce it. You know, is it Yahweh or something like that? But of course, we've anglicized it, put in a couple of vowels, and so the word is Yahweh. Yahweh. So more literally, it actually says, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, God's name is Yahweh, and it is regal, it is royal throughout the cosmos, for he is the God of gods. And not only is his name majestic in all the earth, but his glory spans the heavens, we learn. His name is glorious. What's in a name? I have a Chinese name as well. It is Siu Chung. If you pronounce that wrongly in a certain dialect, it sounds like bird poo. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Richard means Lord. I much prefer that. You know. But what does Yahweh's name mean? And how does glory fit into his name? Well, glory firstly. Glory. Let's think about glory for a moment. What is your glory? Well, your glory, the glory means uh, heavy in its original. That is, it's the people who were glorious were the kings, and the kings used royal robes, and they were heavy. Isn't that funny? The heavier you are, the more glorious you are. These days, the skinnier you are, the more glorious you are. But... But heaviness is actually the sense of glory. But, uh, but it's your wonder, your radiance, your dignity, your splendor, your honor, your magnificence. What is the glory of Dubai? Is it the Burj Al Arab? Seven star hotel is the icon for outside Dubai. But you guys drive past it all the time and go, oh yeah, hotel, you know. Is it the Dubai Mall? Is that the glory of Dubai? I had some wondrous food there, those fountains and all the rest of it. Is it dancing fountains? You know, is that the glory of Dubai? Is it the Burj Khalifa? Which some of my friends amongst you call the Tower of Babel. No, I want to suggest to you is actually the ministry of the gospel in places like Redeemer, but, you know, that's another story. But what is the glory of God? Come to Exodus, if you've got your Bibles. Can you please turn with me to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. Exodus 33 and verse 18. And verse 18. Let me read it to you. Moses said, verse 18, to God, that is, please show me your glory, your magnificence, your splendor, your wonders, your heaviness. Show me your glory. And God said, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Do you see? See, what is his glory? Why, it's his name. And what is it about his name that is his glory? Is that he is one who is gracious, merciful, good. The glory of God is, surprise, surprise, his name, which speaks of his goodness, his compassion. It's his character. You want to see God? Well, look at his character. 
Look at his goodness, look at his mercy, look at his compassion, look at how it is that he's worked in the world throughout history. And his glory indeed spans all of creation. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans 1 that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his character, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So from creation, we can glean something of God's glory, can't we? As we look upon creation, we all know God has made it, whether we admit it or not. And when we hear the sound of birds, or as we look out at the blue sky, as we feel the gentleness of a breeze against our cheeks, or as we stand under a waterfall of some kind with tender delight, as we delight in breathtaking views of the coastline, while we behold the glory and the goodness of Yahweh, it spans the heavens, we're told. But indeed, even infants will see this. In contrast to the enemies of God. Come back to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And have a look there at verse 2. Psalm 8. And verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. You God have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. You see who are the babies? The babies are the children. And what is it about children and babies that God is acknowledging? Well, they are the ones who are childlike. They are the ones who trust, who rely, who depend on another for survival. And as such, they are seemingly weak. They are seemingly insecure. They are unintelligent because they rely on someone else for survival. And those of us who are parents, those of us who are young parents, those of us who are parents who have children who are less than one year old know exactly what that's like, don't we? And we know who really rules the house at that time, don't we? Especially through the night. But children rely on someone else for their survival. But you see, they are the, the ones who God actually is pleased with because they rely on him unlike the foes the avengers because you see the foes and avengers on the other hand they're the enemies of god who like to see themselves as the intelligent ones the ones who are independent of god able the enlightened the bright ones in the west there is a global movement of new atheists who call themselves the brights the brights I wonder if any of you have heard of them. Hands up if you've heard of the Brights. Oh, well done, because they're awful. But anyway, the Brights see themselves as, quote, the luminaries of a new era of rational understanding, dispelling the darkness of religion and Christianity in particular. That's what it says, right? You can look them up on the website. They think of themselves as clever. And they've got pride and we can do things because we're a human race. Now, together with the brights, we do agree that humanity is glorious. It's just that the brights insist that it's because of our natural abilities. Whereas Psalm 8 says, humanity is glorious because of God's appointment. Here's the second point. Humanity is glorious because of God's appointment. Not because of our abilities. It's because of God's appointment. But at first sight, however, we seem anything but glorious despite being appointed. 
See Psalm 8 verse 3? Have a look at verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. What is man? What is humanity? What is humankind when you look at the vast reaches of the universe? Do you know, in a scaled model, if the distance between the earth and the sun was the thickness of one sheet of paper, right? if you think of a scaled model, what do you think the size of our galaxy would be in this scaled model? I asked the congregation earlier this morning what they thought. I want to ask you the same question. If it was a scaled model, roughly what do you think the size of our galaxy would be in terms of diameter? I was allowed to ask this interactively, so you're allowed to actually answer back. Yeah. So, anybody over here would like to have a guess? Anybody on this side? Just shout out. Okay, we'll try this side. <laughs> anybody want to shout out? Anyway, just, just a guess, anything. Just a diameter. Sorry? The world, the world. Oh, that's a better guess than this morning. Yeah, yeah. This morning the person said, you know, the size of this ballroom, right? And that, that'll be, yeah, that's kind of cool. But it's actually somewhere in between this ballroom and the whole world. It's actually 700 kilometres in that scale. Can you imagine that? Do you know what 700 kilometres is? Dubai to Iran. That's 700 kilometres. Right? Unbelievable. In real terms, our galaxy is 100,000 light years across in diameter. 100,000 light years. And there are over 1 billion other galaxies in this universe. Does that not make your mind explode? Explode? Makes mine explode? That makes our entire solar system just a speck in the universe. And our earth a speck on a speck. And we humans as a speck on 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 a speck. We're just dust particles. We're just, in terms of size... We're nothing, we're nobodies, do you see? We're, we're just negligible matter in this vast universe. Well, welcome to church, I hope you're feeling good now. <laughs> what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? But according to Psalm 8, humanity was appointed by God to be glorious. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. Yet, yet, despite our smallness, yet you, God, you, Yahweh, have made him, humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Although humans are a little lower than the angels and heavenly beings, they nevertheless are the jewel in the crown of creation. That is, in making humanity, what God has done is actually helped us to understand the goodness of his rule by seeing the goodness of our rule. It all points to the glory of God, 
in seeing the majesty of humanity that he's created. And God appointed humanity to rule over creation, to subdue creation, to have dominion over creation under his loving rule. And what the psalmist, of course, is doing here poetically is commenting on Genesis chapters 1 and 2, isn't he? Before the fall. Adam and Eve with glory and honor, making them in his image, in God's image. Remember Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27? Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Genesis 1, yeah? I understand you've been looking at Psalm 8 through the week, so no doubt you've looked at Genesis 1 and these verses. But what does it mean to be made in God's image according to these verses in Genesis 1? Well, it means to be appointed to rule the world under God's loving rule. But here is our mandate, is it not? To care for the creation. We are to lovingly care for God's creation because it is God's creation and not ours. We are not owners of this creation. We are stewards of this creation. That's just like our possessions. It's not our possessions. It's God's possessions that we steward. Here is our ethic to lovingly care for God's world. And we are appointed to lovingly rule the world as male and female, did you note? In ordered sexuality, where our gender is affirmed for his glory, whether we remain single, whether we get married. And if we do marry, it will be between one man, one woman, for life as God created us to be. Animals are not made in the image of God. Angels are not made in the image of God. Angels were created to serve humanity because humanity was created in the image of God. And it is because of this appointment as his image bearers that God gives us gifts to rule. He gives us our intelligence, our communication skills, our abilities. But here's the big point. Our greatness as a humanity comes from God's appointment. It does not come from our abilities. Okay, let me say that again. Our greatness comes from God's appointment It does not come from our abilities. Being image bearers is not about an ability thing, it's about an appointment thing. But he grants us the abilities to carry out the appointment, but the appointment is the key. And humanity is glorious because of this appointment, and it reflects God's glory. It reflects God's goodness. And Humanity is glorious because of God's glory. We are the only species on earth that is named and classified other species. We as a humanity have a thirst to understand what things are composed of and how they work. And we're hugely successful in inhabiting the earth, aren't we? Why? We can even live in a desert for goodness sake. And we have found ways to live in every climate, on every continent on the earth. We are the only species that has successfully domesticated other animal species. We can build bridges over seas. We can build bridges in our mouths, can't we? We can even turn rivers the opposite direction and we can communicate 24 hours a day on the net. Why, we are amazing! 
But humanity's glory lies in God's appointment, not in our ability. Humanity is glorious because God has made us and not because of what we can contribute. But even when humanity does contribute greatly to society, it doesn't really rule the world today as it was meant to rule. Humanity really doesn't rule, does it? 4.8 million Syrian refugees fleeing to Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt and Iraq. 6.8 million refugees are internally displaced within Syria itself. 170 people dying from an avalanche in Afghanistan. Strain in our marriages. Divorce. Family tensions. Sickness. Death. We're not ruling. Just over your winter. We were on holidays and three friends passed away in the space of two weeks. One we were expecting, but the other two not at all. A man named Mike Ovey, who's the principal of a theological college in England. Amazing evangelical friend who has been a friend to many in the world in the cause of the gospel, died suddenly of a heart attack. His daughter was actually in Sydney just for a, a, a year, a gap year, but within six days of her arrival, her father had suddenly died. He was only in his mid-50s. Another friend is a church planter, not unlike the church planters that you have sent out from this congregation. He was in his late 30s, early 40s. He suffered from lymphoma, which is not that bad these days. Any, any cancer is bad, but it's more treatable than others. And it actually was treated, except his immune system couldn't cope with the chemotherapy, so he died of an infection quite unexpectedly. Left a wife and children behind young family another one it was actually some close friends who had a 16 year old boy named Nathan Nathan was diagnosed with heart cancer heart cancer That's so rare the way they picked it up was because of a secondary in his brain he was 16 I have a 16 year old within a year of his diagnosis he died and I just attended his funeral just two weeks ago we're not in control, are we? If you were here when I preached three years ago, you will know that my first wife passed away from pancreatic cancer. That is a bad cancer. Three years of misery physically. But in the kindness of God, she died well. She prayed that I might find someone. I didn't want to talk to her about that at all, but I kept on shutting her down. But she prayed, and her prayers were answered. And my beautiful Jeanette, who is not with us at this congregation because of another meeting, but it's all wonderful in terms of blessings by way by the way that God saw her die. But she still died. We don't rule this world. Death is the last enemy, as it's described. 
And the Bible's reason for this is that Genesis 1 and 2, that Psalm 8 reflects, is followed by Genesis 3, where humanity rebels against God who appointed them to rule the world. Adam and Eve wanted to be masters of their own fate, independent of God, like the foes and the avengers, like the brights, as it were. Captains of their own fate, defiant against God, wanting to determine good and evil for themselves rather than to let God determine good and evil for them. And so the humanity that emerges out of Genesis 3 is a tragedy. And we stand in line with that humanity. We see the consequences in our own fractured relationships with God, our fractured relationships with one another, our fractured relationship with the creation. Small wonder there are earthquakes and avalanches and tsunamis. And all that we are needs saving. All that we are needs saving. You and I stumble along with frustration and pain and war and disease and ultimately death. And I need to say to you that if you have not suffered yet, I'm sad to say that it simply is because you haven't lived life long enough. And this is why Jesus came into our world. Jesus came not to abandon humanity, but to restore humanity to its full glory and goodness that reflects the glory and goodness ultimately of God. For Jesus is the ultimate human being who rules over creation, is he not? As you read the Gospels, you see that he is so very human. Oh yes, he is God, but he is so very human. Let's not forget that too. Almost to the point of embarrassment, he really was so very human, wasn't he? In fact, he still is in heaven now, fully human and fully God. But when he was on this earth, we know that he had an ethnicity. He was Jewish. He had a rural hometown, Nazareth. He was conceived out of wedlock. He slept. He grew. He matured. He went to the bathroom. He worked as a carpenter. He was even an undocumented asylum seeker in Egypt. But he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that's why in the gospel accounts, you see, we see Jesus healing diseases and sicknesses and casting out demons and stilling storms and feeding thousands and raising people from the dead. You see, he's not just doing magic tricks to say, look at this, I'm God, look at this, I'm God. No, that's not it, really. It does express his godness, but it also expresses his humanity because humans meant to rule the world, you see. And whenever he does one of these miracles, as if heaven and earth are in sync, where he is ruling the world under God's loving rule. He's actually living out his ultimate humanity, ruling the world. But in so doing, he became all that we are So that all that we are could be saved. He became all that we are so that all that we are could be saved. 
Hebrews chapter 2, which was read for us earlier on. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 5. Such an appropriate text to have read out for us before, wasn't it? Verse 5, Hebrews 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. See, not angels. It's been testified somewhere. I don't know why he doesn't say Psalm 8, but, you know, author of Hebrews is still quoting Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That's right, because we live post-Genesis 3. We're not ruling the world. But, verse 9, we see him who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Where do we see the glory of Jesus? Why, in his character of goodness and mercy in Tasting death for you and me. You want to see the glory of Jesus? Is it by the splendor of his appearance? Is it by paintings of him? Is it books of him? Outside, is it the the movies? Do you want to see the glory of Jesus? You'll see it in his death. Although we are mere atoms on a speck, on a speck, on a speck, on a speck, on a speck in this vast universe of incomprehensible dimensions, Jesus, the image of God, fully God, fully human, took upon himself the judgment that you and I deserve. Where all the anger of God that you and I deserve which should have been poured out on us, was turned aside from us unto Jesus so that we can be saved. He became all that we are because all that we are needed saving. And if we place our trust in his life, in his death, in his resurrection alone to save us, then we become the humanity that we were created to be. Living with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. It's not by what we do. It's not by our good deeds. It's not by helping the old person across the road or giving money to charity or being a good, moral, upright citizen in society. No, it's not even by attending church It's only by trusting Jesus, what he did for us to save us, that we arrive at our true humanity. Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? It might be that you're visiting here for the first time. It might be that you've been coming here for years, but you still haven't come to that point where he is your Lord and your Saviour, where you trust him alone.
today would be a great day to come to know him as your Lord and Saviour. To pray to him, to ask him for forgiveness. And to ask him from this day forward to be your Lord and Saviour. Do speak to someone about that, wouldn't you? If that's where you're at this morning, come and talk to Dave or anybody who's been up front. That's the best thing you could do today if that's you. But for those of us who do know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, please note that our identity is found only in Jesus or primarily in Jesus. It's not in our career. If you are an engineer, well, that's not your identity. Your identity is in Christ who happens to be an engineer. If you're a doctor, you especially need to know (laughs) that your identity is not being a doctor but in Jesus. Or if you're someone who sweeps the streets, your identity is not in sweeping the streets, it's in Jesus, if you trust him as your Lord and Saviour. You see? It's so important, isn't it, to know that? Because my importance comes not from what I can contribute to society, but from his appointment in Christ, being called to Christ, to be Christ's person. But I want to pick on the doctors for a moment, in particular. Because when you have the word doctor in front of your name, you feel special, don't you? Like, whoa, people think I'm so wonderful. And especially if you go to medical school. If you're in medical school here in Stocks, just don't believe the rubbish that people tell you that you're special. They think, wow, you're going to be God's gift to humanity because you can save lives. Jesus saves lives. You're just kind of a puppet there to help out every now and again. The significance doesn't come from your title. Uh, Not just medical doctors, PhDs, wow, it's Dr. So-and-so. Well, yeah, okay, you can read a book or two, so what? (laughs) I tell you what is so what? What is so what is that Jesus has saved you from hell. Your identity is not in your career. Your identity also is not in your marital status either, whether you're single or married. That doesn't make you less or more, whatever it is. Your identity is not in your sporting ability. It's not in your academic achievements. It's not in your appearance. It's not in whatever. Your identity is in Christ. In Christ. You are God's image bearers in Christ. That's where our identity lies. For his glory. It's not our glory. It's his glory, isn't it? But it is glorious because it's his appointment. But it all points to his glory. I have a friend named Morgan. Morgan comes to our church every Sunday in a motorized wheelchair. Because about the time that this church was planted seven years ago, he had a brain hemorrhage. And the brain hemorrhage so affected him that now he can't hardly speak properly His head is tilted. His arms can't really move apart from the finger that operates the motorised wheelchair. He has to be toileted by someone. He has to be fed by someone. He can't do much at all. And all he does is calm, smile. His head tilts over and saliva comes out of his mouth. Is Is he less of an image bearer? Of course not. And you kind of say, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Then why is it that we get so upset about the fact that I can't contribute to society or I'm not seen to be special because of this, that and the other? Now, he's equally an image bearer, isn't he? And how does he rule the world then? Through his prayers. Where do you find your identity? Where do you find it?
Where do you find your significance? In Christ, dear brothers and sisters. In Jesus and his glory. And even though we'll stumble through this rebellious world, as we stumble through the effects of sin in this world, the glory of Jesus is what we will long for as image bearers who grow in the likeness of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. That's where our identity lies. And in the hands of Jesus, one day a new heavens and a new earth will unfold when everything in creation will be put under his feet. And that'll be a time when there will be no more earthquakes and no more wars and no more terrorist acts and no more adultery and no more divorce and no more disease and no more sickness and no more death. And I wonder whether you're looking forward to that day. I don't know what is going on in your life at the moment. But I do know that we can all look to Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. As fellow brothers and sisters bearing his image. Let's do likewise. Look forward to his return. Long for his glory. Shall we pray to him now? We thank you, dear Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he lived and died and rose again, that we might have life and have life in him. Please, Father, save those of us who yet do not know you. And for those of us who do know you as our Lord and Saviour, keep us growing in the likeness of Jesus finding our identity in him and him alone. And may we live through life, whatever it brings us, for your glory and our joy. And we pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.